0: well let me tell you what you're listening to welcome to father simon says on relevant radio with father richard simon i'm here to answer your questions have a question Give us a call. one 914 9149 As any question you may have about the Lord, the faith, and the church, that's one 914 9149 This is, in fact, a radio show called
1: Father Simon Says on Relevant Radio.
0: Hello. Where was that? Oh, yeah, Hello. You're listening to an hour of broadcast. Well, I'd like to say professionalism, but I would be lying. So, untouched
1: is the, the word you're com- looking for?
0: Untouched by professionalism, as my former deacon, the Reverend Deacon John Chick O'Leary. Uh, uh, um, if you ever met Deacon O'Leary, you'd wonder how he got the name Chick, because there's nothing nothing a little about him. Well, that was his grandfather's nickname, so he got it. But I, that's not what we're here for. Let's pray. In the name of the Father, the Son, of the Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit, fill the hearts of your faithful and kindle them the fire of your love. Send forth your spirit, they shall be created, and you shall renew the face of the earth. Lord, you taught the hearts of the faithful by the light of the Holy Spirit. Grant us by that same spirit to have right judgment in all things and evermore to rejoice in his comfort through Christ our Lord. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou amongst women. Blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners now and at the hour of our death. Amen. St. Michael the Archangel, defend us in battle. Be our defense against the wickedness and snares of the devil. May God rebuke him, we humbly pray. And do thou, O Prince of the Heavenly Host, by the power of God cast into hell Satan, and all the evil spirits who prowl about the world, seeking the ruin of souls through Christ our Lord. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, all right, let's open a big book on the coffee table.
1: Is that and a little bit of chicago ease
0: Did I say open the book on the coffee table? The big <laughs> Oops, book. I lapsed. The big book on the coffee table. I, I've lapsed into dialect. Oh, well. <laughs> let's move along here. Nothing to see. Let's, uh, well, we are in the, the uh, today's the Feast of the Presentation of the Blessed Virgin Mary, and you know, I believe, oh gosh, I probably should have researched this, but nah, you're used to taking what I say with a grain of salt. The presentation of the Blessed Virgin Mary seems to come up in the, I believe it is the Proto-Evangelion of St. James, which is a, an early uh, gospel, not one of the canonical gospels. We don't believe it was inspired by the Holy Spirit, but it is kind of interesting that um, it was written. It's not a Gnostic gospel. It it probably more is what we call an Ebionite gospel. That that there were these people called the Ebionites, uh, who were believers in Christ, but they weren't so sure about the divinity of Christ. Um, and uh, there's is the Gospel of the Hebrews, of which we have a few fragments, and this is is this is taken from the. The Proto Evangelium of James. It's second century, which means you know it's probably written in the, you know, the grain of salt. There, it was certainly in circulation around 150 A.D. So it was probably written significantly earlier than that, and it was it was respected. And the story of the presentation of the Blessed Virgin uh, is found in that. Um, it says that Joachim and Anna. The, the mother and father of or, uh, uh, of the Blessed Virgin decided to consecrate her to God. So they brought her at the age of three to the temple. And Mary's presentation in the temple uh, draws parallels to that of the prophet Samuel, that sort of thing. Now, it says that Mary remained in the temple till her twelfth year. Now, there's no record of of anyone living in the temple, especially women. However, there were young women who dedicated themselves to the service of the temple and don't shoot the messenger, but they did the women's work like the sewing and all that sort of thing. Um, uh, of course now we would not do that because they'd all be training to be lawyers and and football coaches. But, um, where was I, but they, they did that kind of work supposedly. So this story, the presentation of Mary may be based in, in history. Um, and and it's a beautiful idea that our blessed mother uh, had taken the the uh, the the oh come on I can't think of the name the Nazarite that's it the Nazarite vow and that she she was a, a girl who was dedicated to the service of the Lord from her early years so that's what we're celebrating uh, the 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 service of our Blessed Mother to the temple. And how that happened, well, we can discuss it with her when we get there and ask her, well, what was that about? All right, well, let's get to the readings, though, which are um, not necessarily proper to the feast. Um, let's see here. I want to just briefly get through this letter in 2 Maccabees. 2 Maccabees is, has these stories of heroes. First Maccabees is more the story of what happened uh, when the the... Uh, the Jews, the Judeans, rose up against the Syrian Greeks who were imposing Hellenic religion on the people. Well, this is a wonderful story of an old man who is is told, you have to eat pork or we're going to kill you. And he said, okay, kill me. Why should I have a few more years of life and, and, and deny God and deny my faith? I would scandalize people. So they happily killed him. Uh, so it's... I guess what I want to say is that this stuff happens more in our world than it did in theirs. I have told you about the Sudanese martyrs that we don't even know about. In Sudan, it's thought that millions of people were killed simply because they wanted to go to mass on Sunday. Uh, the, the, the government put planes in the air, bombed all the churches. Then they would, on Sunday morning, they would put planes in the air. And if they saw large groups of people heading towards somewhere in the forest, they would, they would just bomb them. So millions of people—it's quite possible that millions of people died for their faith—and so the spirit of martyrdom is is celebrated, especially in the second book of Maccabees. And uh, I genuinely believe that that it's scripture inspired by God. But let's go to the Gospel according to Luke—the wonderful story of Zacchaeus. Now, Zacchaeus was not that bad a guy. <laughs> Seriously, I'm going to I'm going to explain Roman taxation, which was horrible. Um. Zacchaeus, when Jesus comes to his house, and everyone's upset because he's gone to the house of a sinner. I will explain why Zacchaeus, being a tax collector, was an automatic sinner. But he says, half of my possessions I shall give to the poor. And if I've extorted anything from anyone, I shall repay it four times over. So he's, he's given away half of his wealth, and then he's going to repay anyone if he has, has taxed them exorbitantly, uh, he'll repay it four times over. So the very most he could have extorted from from his neighbors was an eighth of what he had. Nah, eh, that's not so bad. Well, when you look at the Roman taxation system, it was pretty bad. the The Romans had a system called tax farming, and they would auction off, say. The, the post of tax collector in the town of Capernaum and you would bid for this post and someone would say, I will give uh, uh, 500 sister 500 denarius or 5,000 denarius for the position of tax collector. And, uh, and someone else said, I'll give 6,000 and so on. And the highest bidder won, And you would have to pay up front You'd have to pay that amount up front, and you would borrow from people, and and there'd be people who got together to buy this position of tax collector. And the trick was, of course, uh, you were given uh, Roman soldiers to help you enforce the tax. And that's not the worst part of it. Worst part of it is twofold. The Romans had local magistrates collect the taxes, they didn't do it themselves. They let the local government collect the taxes and pay them. You know, if you if you couldn't get them all the tax that you promised, you had to make it up from your own money. But you had soldiers to help you enforce it. And um, so you assessed it pretty high, because if you assessed more than you'd promised the Romans, you got to keep the extra. So imagine some poor widow who has 10 kids comes in and says, I can't pay the tax. Sell one of your kids. You got 10 of them. You know, uh, that was the, and it was your neighbor who was doing this. The the Romans were smart enough not to, not to collect tax from people. They had Jews collect taxes from Jews and Spaniards collect tax from Spaniards and Greeks from Greeks so that you didn't hate the Romans so much as you hated your neighbor who was working for them. And um, it was what they call a, not a progressive tax, a progressive tax is, The richer you are, the higher your tax bracket. It was a regressive tax. So the poorer you were, the higher your tax bracket. I'm not making this up. The poorer you were, the higher your tax, the higher was the percent of your tax. And uh, it wasn't exactly an income tax, but close enough. It was more of a head tax. Um, There were different, different categories of Roman tax. But that meant that the rich... Got to keep their money because they were powerful. Uh, now the Romans often managed to get the money the rich too by accusing them of crime, and then uh, they would seize all their wealth. But that was another system. But the regular tax system: the poorer you were, the, more, the higher the, the the greater rate you were taxed. The rich could get away with it. It, it was just an evil system. Augustine tri- Augustus, Emperor Augustus, reformed it a little, but it was still horrible so this is a guy who's devouring the houses of his neighbors his poor neighbors not just his neighbors and so he's Zacchaeus was a sinner now Zacchaeus was a little fellow uh he he was short in stature I can imagine that Zacchaeus was the runt on the playground and uh you know he was the small guy who got picked last for uh, baseball which they didn't play in the ancient world um and I bet they were having a fun time, you know, elbowing out the tax collector. And so this wealthy man, this man who was feared, <coughs> excuse me, I was so concerned to see this Messiah, this rabbi, that he ran down uh, to the, way, the in the direction that he was going and climbed up a tree. And hold on, I got to press the cough button. I'll be right back. Uh, That's the cough button. Oh, (coughs) there's coughing music. I'm fine. Um, At any rate, good grief. Yeah, the cough button, so you don't catch anything on the uh, air. Okay, moving along. Uh, So Zacchaeus, uh, he climbs a tree, and this must have been quite a scene for this wealthy man, of whom everyone was afraid to be climbing up a tree. And Jesus looks up, and he says, I'm going to have lunch at your house. He came down quickly and received him with joy. And you see, Jesus knew the hearts of men, and he knew Zacchaeus was about ready to repent. And Zacchaeus repents. You know, it's uh, when I was a young priest, I was the frequent guest of a person who seemed to have no job and quite a bit of money. It was in a very poor parish. And all of a sudden, you know, I... I, um, Oh, you know, I was newly ordained, and and uh, this was very interesting. I was meeting people on the west side of Chicago, and well, one day uh, I was supposed to, I was invited for dinner, and all of a sudden this guy was gone. He had left the country, and I thought, oh, that's interesting. And they just looked at me. Of course, he was he was a a drug lord. I had no idea, um, but it is interesting how people. Um, Oh, gosh, you'll find all sorts of people who are, um, mm, I don't know, it's a funny part of the business of religion, especially being a Catholic priest. You will find people who love to collect priests, especially people who are not really observant in their religious faith, because it makes them feel better about themselves, and the problem is that we the clergy sometimes don't perceive that, and our goal in associating with them should be to draw them closer to Christ and to bring them to repentance, and we often don't do that. You know, it is very funny how, um, oh, how to put this in a delicate way. It is very funny, and I don't mean humorous, how how power likes to use religion, and we who are in the business, need to be very sensitive to that, that, that the scripture is really full of, of uh, um, well, I suppose the word is the preferential option for the poor. Um, the scripture really is loaded with that, that, that we need to, we don't, you don't want to dis- disrespect the rich. The rich are, some of the rich are among the poorest people I know. They have no hope. They have no life. They have no joy. Their entire life is built around their money. Uh, They don't see it as a gift from God to be used for the good of humanity uh, and of their families. They see it as things to possess to establish their worth. Um, uh, You know, in my life, I I worked most of my life in very poor parishes, inner city parishes, a lot of crime, a lot of drugs, all that sort of thing. And, you know, I've known a lot of thieves. (laughs) I never knew a rich thief. I never knew a happy thief. They were always looking over their shoulder to see who was going to steal what they had. You know, the, the uh, uh, um, people who are, are owners of ill-gotten gains, sometimes they like to surround themselves with kind of a patina of, of religion. And I think it's very important, uh, you know, you don't neglect people who are, are in that situation, but on the other hand, you don't try to lull them into a false sense of security or saying, oh, that's all right. That's all right. Uh, you don't do that. You know, it's very interesting to me. And I'm, maybe I should have made this the word of the day, but I'll, I'll share it anyway. <clears throat> the text um, that the love of money is the root of all evil. You know, I'm always telling you that almost universally the word for love in Greek is agape, which means sacrificial love. When the Scripture says the love of money is the root of all evil, it doesn't use agape. It, use, it uses philia, philargyron, friendship with money. Hmm, friendship with money. That's a little different, isn't it? That that it's it's a, a mutual affection, not a sacrificial love. And and I just think that that um, we need to be sensitive to that and. Uh, we need to live, as Christians, we need to live moderately. As clergymen, we need to be uh, as kind to the rich as we are to the poor and as kind to the poor as we are to the rich. Realizing that in the end, everybody, if they're lucky, possesses only six feet of dirt. You know, nobody comes out of this uh, uh, wealthy. We can't, you can't take it with you. So. All right, that said, uh, even if you try really hard, you can't take it with you. So, I don't know. I I look at Zacchaeus, and I think uh, um, Zacchaeus wasn't as as bad as we thought. He, uh, He couldn't have stolen more than an eighth of what he had. And, well, Jesus' visit to Zacchaeus' house had the proper effect. Zacchaeus was saved. And may our visits to people who are living in sin or pursuing the wealth of the world or pursuing anything that is immoral in the world, may our presence in their life bring them closer to Christ and not simply make them feel okay about their sins. All right. Boy, I don't feel okay about mine. All right, let's take a break. We're going to come back with letters and uh, the phones are open at 888-914-9149, 888-914-9149, 888-9149. We'll be right back. If you are in the market for health insurance, our sponsor, the Catholic Order of Foresters, is here to help you and your family find the most cost-effective health plan. Learn more at relevantradio.com forester. I've got
1: plenty to be thankful for. I haven't got a great big yacht to sail from shore to shore. I've got plenty to be thankful for.
0: I love this song, plenty and it's true. We do have plenty for. to be thankful for. Oh no man, I was just uh, chatting with the voice in my head no <laughs> on the break, and uh, it occurred to me—you know—that verb "fill our ear" and uh, the word almost 99% of the times it's used for love in the New Testament. And a hundred percent of the time, the Greek translation of the Old Testament is agape, but there are some interesting times when Jesus uses the word philia, which is mutual affection, instead of sacrificial love. When Peter is, uh, when he's asking Peter, "Do you love me more than these?" Jesus asks him, "Do you have sacrificial love for me?" And she, Peter responds, "You know, I love you like a brother." I maintain that we're hearing the first confession of the first pope. I don't love you like I should, but the verb form of the noun philia. It means to kiss, because that's how you greeted people. You know that there was, uh, you know, this kissing going on, nothing untoward. But um, uh, um, that is the verb form of philia. So another place where philia is used is in the context of Judas. I think that's interesting. The love of money in Judas. Well, they're using the same verb, the same, the same word form. All right. It's, Let's move on here. Okay, where was I? Oh, letters. Let's go to letters. Okay. Now I've got, let's see. Okay. Where was I? Okay. Where did I put those? Oh, here one is. Okay. This is kind of interesting. This is from Maureen. And my grandson has asked for a Bible for Christmas. What would be a good one? Well, it depends how old he is. If he is a child who likes comic books, and sometimes men you know, fit that description into their forties, but if he likes comic books, there is uh, the cartoon Bible. I believe that's what it's called. I have to look this up every time uh, because I forget. But it's it's really good. Uh, let me pull that up. It's um, it tells the the essential story of. Salvation. Oh no, no. Where is it? Okay, come on. I here it is. The not the cartoon Bible, the picture Bible. Uh, it's the picture Bible, and it is uh, uh, written by Iva Hoth and illustrated by Andre Leblanc. And uh, who's the publisher? I don't know who the publisher is, but it's it's young people love it, and it really does give you the story of of salvation. So uh, I would. If, if your grandson is comic book age, get him that. He will thank you. The picture Bible and, and hardcover. So that's, um, uh, I think, about 15 bucks um, new. Um, <clears throat> or I would get him, if he is a little older, I would get him something nice, you know, leather covered, red letters, gold edges. Why? Because it's 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 beautiful and it'll be a treasure from from Grandma, um, and I would I would look at the Catholic Study Bible. I think that's probably the best the best Bible. It's the uh, Um, it's new, new is Nick. Is it? It's New American, it's the one we're using. The translation is New American, I think. The the lectionary translation, correct? The lectionary translation
1: is the New American Bible,
0: yes. New American, I can never remember that. (laughs) I'm not the sharpest quill on the porcupine, but uh, those are the two I would suggest. One, if he's older, get him a kind of fancy schmancy version of uh, the Catholic Study Bible. What's falling over there? Um, but uh, if not, if he's younger a uh, picture bible and if he's somewhere in between 11 12 get them both all right that would be my suggestion and uh, it's wonderful that he your 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 grandson wants a bible uh, grandma must be a good influence so there you go okay now let's this is oh this is this is going to be a little a little odd here okay this was uh, the reading indicates uh, is it the current reading? I guess it is. I, I have to uh, uh, look. The, the reading talks about, um, uh, um, no, I think it's yesterday's reading. Is it yesterday's reading? It talks about covering the marks of circumcision. Um, yeah, that's yesterday. Oh, this is going to be, I'm going to try and be as oblique as possible for the sake of, of little listeners, if there are any. This is kind of interesting. Uh, the gymnasium, which features in this reading, that they, they, they built a gymnasium in Jerusalem. The word gymnos uh, in Greek means wearing only that suit of clothing that you received from God and your mother on the day of your birth, your birthday suit. That's gymnos. I'm always amused by the translations when Saint Peter is on the boat uh, and he is gymnos. And they translate it lightly clad, which I guess it can mean that, but um, it usually means gymnos. Okay, moving along there. Um, uh, um, uh, A gymnasium was a place where you wore only that suit. The Greek's Uh, didn't worry about gym shorts. Uh, So, moving along, that meant the mark of circumcision was very public. I mean, now who would know? But back then, oh yeah, it was a very public mark. And now this is going to be interesting. The Greeks and the Romans found that particular operation obscene. It was a mutilation of the body, and now, again, uh, I, I don't want to be graphic, but I, you know, this is Bible. So it exposed a part of the male anatomy that was seen only in intimacy. So the Greeks and the Romans thought that this operation that the Jews, uh, by which the Jews expressed their covenant, uh, a damaging of the male generative organ was a kind of uh, human sacrifice. It it took the place of sacrifice and uh, it was one of the great dividing lines uh, between Greeks and Romans, you know, s- to this day, you know, guys that go to the gym, they'll take a schvitz, they'll do a real estate deal, they'll go out and get dinner and a drink. That's that's uh, uh, a time-honored custom. And Greek gymnasia were places where you made social contact. Uh, there was kind of a, the, the gymnasia would have restaurants, they would have libraries, they were really like a health clubs plus, and Jews couldn't go to them because, of course, they had a mark in their flesh that they were not Greeks and Romans. So it became fashionable to cover that up. How was that done? And I don't want, there was, oh gosh, what is the name of, of uh, the operation? It, it uh, uh, there actually was a physical operation that this is in the era without, uh, anesthetics and without, uh, uh antibiotics and disinfectants. And that's how much some people wanted to to be thought of as acceptable in the Greek speaking population of the Holy Land. That they would, or if they were in the diaspora, they were scattered through the empire. They would undergo this very risky and very painful medical procedure, which actually did exist, to uh, to cover the mark of circumcision. So that that's he asked. And that's the, the answer. I, I forget the word, but maybe I'll, I'll find the word somewhere. Okay, let's go. Moving along. Okay, you can take your finger out of the kid's ears now. All right, now here we go. This is from Monica in Minneapolis. Um, by the way, just reminding you, the phones are open at 888-914-9149. That's 888-914-9149. This is uh, the sins of St. Joseph, and uh, I don't know any of the sins of St. Joseph. Hello, Father, I'm wondering about St. Joseph and if he committed actual sin. I had an alcoholic and cruel father for many years now. I found great comfort in the Christ child was subject and under the authority of a sinful father in a small way just like me. To be clear, I don't picture St. Joseph committing any mortal sins. I just picture my mind being perhaps tired or cranky. On certain days, perhaps he was too tired to play with the Christ child, maybe in a bad mood. Being perfect as Jesus was, even a small slight from his father would have been devastating. I would think the opposite. If Jesus and his blessed mother were immaculately conceived, that they would be able to endure those, those slights. Um, or, or difficulties. I know that Christ endured much suffering during the Passion. Yet I find so much comfort in being able to believe that Jesus endured hardships as a small child too. It helps me as I look back on my own child. Unfortunately, everything I've tried to read about Saint Joseph in the Catholic Church teaching paints him to be the perfect father, almost, I dare say, sinless like the Blessed Mother. When discussing this with others. I've gotten some backlash, as if I'm trying to disparage St. Joseph. And I promise you, I have a devotion to St. Joseph. I'm seeing clarity, because I don't want to seek comfort from something false. Please help me if you can. Well, the only comment that the Scripture makes about St. Joseph's moral life is that he was a just man. He was a tzaddik. If a Jew calls you a tzaddik, it's the highest compliment he can he can pay. And, you know, because he was a righteous man... He did not want to expose the Blessed Mother to the penalty of the law. She was expecting a child, and she was not married to him, and he knew that he had nothing to do with this conception. And so he decided to divorce her quietly when it would have been his right to have her publicly stoned. He didn't want to do that because he was a just man. When we think of justice, we think of, I'm going to call the cops on you, and I'm going to get justice. That's not the Hebrew concept of justice. We can see the concept of justice by looking at St. Joseph, that that God's justice includes mercy. Uh, So uh, Joseph was a just man. And, you know, I I guess I'm on the side of people who think that Joseph was a pretty good guy. But you're right. He was not immaculately conceived. Um, And I'm sure he had difficult days. I don't think the Blessed Mother and the Christ Child would have been devastated by that because their perfection included seeing the way God sees, and they would have seen Joseph had had a difficult customer if that happened. I have a hard time thinking about it, and all I can say is the only comment that Scripture makes is that Joseph was a tzaddik. He was a just man. All his deeds... His deeds, his, his good deeds far outweighed his bad deeds. That's exotic. So um, I think you can still take comfort in it because we have the role of Joseph being a good and just father. And we can claim Joseph as our father if we, if we had a hard time uh, with our, 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 our actual fathers in the world. We can ask Joseph to be a father to us. Uh, I think that that's, that's a, a doable. Um, I also think that, that we need to do our best to imitate the Blessed Mother and Christ. And, you know, if there's difficulty with fathers to, to be as indulgent as I'm sure they were when, when St. Joseph may have had a hard day. But, you know, I, I think that Joseph's great preoccupation, because he knew this was unique I think St. Joseph's great preoccupation was to make sure that the Blessed Mother and her Divine Son were safe. We see that in the story of the flight to Egypt, that that his whole life was geared toward the safety of our Blessed Mother and our Lord. Um, And so his life was a real battle, uh, but conducted in holiness. But you shouldn't let that discourage you from having St. Joseph as kind of a uh, a paternal role model, because, you know, he, he's a good father, and uh, he'll take care of you. So um, I, I, I guess all I can really say is that that St. Joseph's was a righteous man, and that righteousness included kindness, mercy, and a great desire to keep his our Blessed Mother and our Lord safe. So, I hope that helps a lot. Now, we got plenty of lines open, so do call in. And everybody waits till the end to call in. You know, I don't know why. <laughs> Maybe because I don't bite. I promise. We, 888-914-9149. 888-914-9149. We're going to take a break, and we will come back with a word of the day. Father Simon says... What a way to make a living insulting people. I'm kidding! On Relevant Radio.
1: Well,
0: I've never been so insulted in my life. This hour is sponsored by Ave Maria Mutual Funds, where financial goals are aligned with pro-life values and fund decisions are based on investment fundamentals designed to preserve and grow wealth without violating moral beliefs. More information at AveMariaFunds.com. You say either, I say either. You say neither, and I say neither. Either, either, and either neither, neither. Let's call the whole thing off. Oh, let's not. Like like so I potato. talk funny when I'm talking you Chicago. Like All right. Let us go now to the word of the day. Potato. Okay. And again, 888 914 9149. In the reading today, we read that uh, Zacchaeus, um, where was I? Oh, that's the blind man. That's yesterday. I clicked the wrong button. Let me click the right button. All right. We read that, oh, that's Eliezer. Let me scroll down. Ah. Good grief. Note, I never noticed this until I looked at it in Greek, but he was a chief tax collector. He wasn't just a tax collector. He was an architelonos. And and the the word for uh, for tax collector is very interesting in Greek. It's uh, 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 telonis. Um, it it, and it comes from the Greek word telos, uh, which means the distance or the end or the goal. Uh, uh, you know, television, telescope, telefriend, all that sort of thing. Well, not telefriend. Uh, moving along here, but. It is a combination. The word for tax collector is telos combined with anelmi, which means to buy. In other words, it's the bottom line. It's the end purchase price. And, you know, the Europeans, when they come visit America, when they're in the store and they see uh, um, that something costs a dollar and they go to the cash register and it'll be a dollar twenty five, but it's only a dollar. Well, that's the tax you see over there. They include the tax in the price. So that's what the tax collector was the guy who he determined the price of things because that was the bottom line and he had flexibility about it there was no universal tax rate it was what the tax collector could get away with and that's how he made his money so I thought that was kind of interesting that the word for tax collector in Greek is the guy you pay at the end of the process the bottom line guy All right. that said let's go to phones telegram for you sir He gets
1: mad because he can't read. Oh, I see.
0: Well, I can I just don't do it much these days. I should spend more time reading. Well, I do on the computer looking up all this fun stuff. All right, let's go to Mike from Wausau, Wisconsin. Father
1: Simon, hello.
0: Hello, what can I do for you? Hello, (laughs) yes.
1: I'm I'm proxy. I'm calling for my wife. She has a question about St. Joseph. And, um, you know, the March 19th is his feast day, mm-hmm. and we celebrate that. And we also pray to St. Joseph for a happy okay. holy day. Okay. Now, is there any connection with um, the 19th of any other month as with uh, March 19th?
0: I don't know, but up, um, the 19th, the, the, well, the... the uh... The, the the significance of the nineteen uh, is well there is a significance, um, oh good grief! Uh, what is the significance of nineteen? I'm I'm quickly looking at this, uh, uh, looking it up as we speak. Um, I guess it represents the number of the star which illuminates the intelligence and invigorates the innocence and the pure of heart. Uh, that's kind of interesting. Uh, that that's the the gematria meaning. Apparently, um, let me see what it represents in Hebrew. Yeah, it represents divine order, judgment, truth revealed or concealed. Uh, Nineteen, the ten and nine. That's what that means. That's that's as close as I can come. Does that help a little?
1: Well, this this came up because uh, her brother-in-law died on the nineteenth of July, mm-hmm. so she was oh. wondering if the nineteenth had a significance for him having say a holy death or that's really
0: I, I you know I, I I don't know the only thing I can look at is um, uh, you know what, what this, the biblical the biblical meaning of it which is uh you know about divine order and judgment well I suppose <laughs> 19 you face judgment on 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 the day of the 19th as we stand before God but other than that I I, I can't help you darn well, oh, okay. If I, anything occurs to uh, me, I'll he- mention it. But it's about divine order. So things happen. You can say that he died on the 19th. It's just a little reminder that things happen in the divine order, that even even our passing from the earth is, is you know, his eyes on the sparrow, as Scripture says elsewhere. Does that help? Oh, I think well for me it does, yes. Thank there you, you go. very much. All right. You're welcome. You're welcome. <laughs> Goodness. Goodness. You. Amen. Bye-bye. Okay, let's see, oh, let me go back to the screen here. Let's go to Francine from Chicago, Illinois. Francine, how can I help you? Hi, Father, first off, thank you for
1: your humor, which is wonderful, and for the font of information you have, albeit taken with a grain of salt. Oh, uh, okay. My question has to do with a friend who um, recently, <laughs> <laughs> recently was informed that a relative who came to Ellis Island, I'm assuming this is around World War II, wrote down that he was Hebrew, and his last name is Emel, E-M-M-E-L. And I'm wondering the meaning of that name. I know E-L as a syllable refers to God.
0: As well, in Emmanuel J. yes. Raphael. However, if he was a European Jew, his last name would not have been Hebrew. It would have been German. Yiddish, the Yiddish language is a dialect of German, and in the attempt to blend in, they they... You know, people didn't have last names. Uh, Jews, uh, traditionally, as most people, would be the son of someone. Like Jesus' last name was was Yeshua ben Yosef, Jesus' son of Joseph. So his last name would have been Yosef. Would have been Yosef. They didn't have family names. And so... Europeans kind of imposed family names on Jews at a certain point, And so people took nice names like Rosenblum, which means a, a, a Rose bloom or Goldberg, which means a mountain of gold, that sort of thing. And so Emil mean, is German for uh, 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 it's an old uh, Germanic personal name, uh, meaning capable or brave. Uh, uh, even eager, so that's what Emil Emil means in in. Uh, it's an uh, apparently an archaic German word, but yeah, it, it's uh, she's looking for something Hebrew, and it not it The name wouldn't have been Hebrew, so uh, sorry about that. It's close to Emmet, which means truth in Hebrew, uh, but it it's not. Does that help at all? Uh, well, I'll pass that on to him, but I'm just wondering because Emmanuel.
1: Has both of those syllables, and is there's no relation to the Godhead in
0: any of that? Uh, Not in the name Emil. If it's a Germanic Jewish name, let me see if I can find. um, You know, if he wants to stretch it, uh, uh, M in Hebrew really doesn't mean anything except it's related. It's it's part of the word for truth. Um, Let's see. it's 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 I think a privative suffix. Uh, um, let me see. Uh, I actually, it <laughs> it can mean me can mean mother. <laughs> I forgot about that, but Ooh. I wouldn't that wouldn't fit in. But uh, you could say if it's from the word for truth, it would mean the truth of God. How's that? They'll like that. God's truth. M-L. M Emmet Emmet L would be God's truth. Maybe it's an abbreviation of that. But it's a German name, an old old German name meaning. Meaning brave, probably. So
1: okay, so it had Tell, nothing
0: to do with being Hebrew. No, no, it's that there's no there's no M means. I suppose no, you. Could, I mean, uh, he he wrote down that he was Hebrew. that's you're saying no. Oh, he's Hebrew. Yeah, he was saying he was Jewish. I mean, we call Jews Jews, but they used to be called Hebrews. They would call themselves Hebrews. You know, the Hebrew in the 19th century, that was a common way to say Jewish. I'm a Hebrew. So I'm sorry, did you say the truth of God? Well, Emmett L. would be the truth of the truth of God. Yeah, Emmett L. could mean the truth of God, okay. but there's no E.T. in it. So, no, it's, it's yeah. I, I, I wish I could say otherwise, but it's most probably a German name. Okay, like Goldberg thank you very or Rosenblum or, or Stein, you know, that, uh, or Simon, which is actually German. I'm not Jewish at all, but Simon's a common German-Jewish name. So well, my friend's name right.
1: so that would fit in.
0: Bachman, that means uh, a guy from a brook. <laughs> Bachman. So... Uh, um, uh Bachmann. A uh, Bach is a brook, and Mann is a man in German. So, at any rate, well, etymology—it's—it's it's a cruel master. All right. Uh, thanks for calling in. That. Uh, oh my. Well, let's go to Gloria. Gloria, are you with us? What can I do for you?
1: Yes, Father. Thank you very much, Father Simon. Um, I have a question regarding um, a sacristan, kind of new a sacristan in my parish. I mm-hmm. at the beginning he was very nice and uh, suddenly he became very cold and I have you know he sees me going to pay masses at the rectory so one day he said oh you are going to the rectory to talk about me or something like that and I I I, I was not sure if I was listening correctly but I ignore it so because is that true so. um then he has become very
0: hostile with me. Well, uh, do what the Bible says to do. Do what the Bible says to do. Matthew, the 18th chapter, nineteen 19th verse. You go to your brother. If your brother offends you, go to him and tell him about it. Have you talked to him about the situation? Uh, I mean, you go no, and you talk I to
1: haven't. him. I, have, I haven't because well, I'm, I'm afraid of being rejected because he has become...
0: Well, so, so you're you're being rejected now. Do what the Bible says to do. Talk to him. If your brother offends okay. you, go and speak to him. That's what the Bible says to do. And he's probably, he's getting bad mouthed by people and he's just reacting badly. And you can, you can start out and say, have I offended you in any way? Just ask him that. Okay. Have, I, have I hurt you in any way? Don't tell him, why aren't okay. you being nice to me? Ask him a question. Say, have I offended you? If I did, I didn't mean to. Try okay. that. It okay. will work. That will work. That's okay, what the Bible brother. says to do. It's good advice. All right, God thank bless Gloria, and I'll be easy, praying for but, you. yeah, thank <laughs> you, yeah thank it's you. not easy to do. That's what the Bible says. God bless you. Thank Let's go to Steve who's you, calling you're thank welcome. Let's go to Steve you. from Duncannon. Hey Father Simon, uh, doing the praying the uh, joyful mysteries,
1: uh, the uh, visitation and uh, and the, when Elizabeth said she heard the, her Mary's greeting, It says that uh, she cried out in a loud voice. What's the significance of the loud voice? Just
0: excitement? Well, I would say that she was an older woman who was expecting a child. And she said, the child leapt in my womb when he heard your greeting in my ear. In other words, she was getting kicked by John the Baptist. (laughs) <laughs> that's how I look at it. She was expecting, and John the Baptist got all excited in her womb, and ouch! That's that. She that is, startled, I think, huh? what was happening. Well, uh, I don't know. I, I have a feeling that when women get kicked by the child in their womb, which happens often, uh, that must be uncomfortable. So, that's my suspicion. They cry the out <laughs> huh? Yeah, she. Ow. <laughs> yes. I mean. Alrighty. Oh, that's maybe I'm wrong about that. We'll ask her when we get there. God willing. All right. My goodness. That, that's funny. When you think okay. about it, I'd never thought about it, but yeah. All right, Steve, thanks for calling in. Thanks right. for listening. God bless you. Thanks. Okay. Let's go to Therese from Minneapolis. Good. Hello, father. Hello. Yes. What can I do for you? Uh, good
1: afternoon, father. Um, I just wanted to follow up with a a thought the earlier caller and talked about um, Joseph and Mary, and I Mm -hmm. think you've done it before. Could you walk us through, um, like today you mentioned Mary was at the temple till about 14 years of age. Could you, like, walk us through the Jewish custom at that time? So Mary's at the temple till she's 14, and then how does Joseph enter the scene, and then how does he protect her um, and I don't I yes. believe you said, you know, a while ago that the neighbors didn't gossip about her. They didn't think of her as an unwed mother because Joseph protected, in a sense, the secret of the Messiah um, by not having her publicly exposed.
0: Yes. Well, that would be reasonable. Now, according to the, 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 the Proto-Evangelium or, or First Gospel of James... Uh, the uh, our blessed mother uh, was in the temple from her early childhood till till well about that age, and she would have been engaged to Joseph very quickly after. Now you got to remember, according to Eusebius of Caesarea, in one of the earliest comprehensive uh, uh, Christian histories, and he's quoting uh, Julius Africanus, who investigated these things within the century after the death and resurrection of Jesus, Joseph was a cousin to Mary. Uh, that that uh, You didn't have convents or houses for women. She would have been under the protection of her father, uh, Joachim. And then when she was of a marriageable age, she would have had to have been under the protection of a man. And so they found someone who, who was a close relative who would take care of her and protect her, and that was Joseph. So she would have been engaged to be married pretty soon after she ceased her service in the temple. Um, the, uh, uh, the that that uh, the age of fourteen would have been a reasonable age, because of course that is when a woman's body changes, and in Jewish ritual law there are prescriptions against that. You know, women who are of an age. You know, I'm trying to be discreet because uh, the. Because blood is sacred, and uh, so at that age she would have had to have left the temple uh, if she was doing some kind of temple service, and she would have been very quickly engaged to a, to a close relative for her own protection. Does that answer your question?
1: It it does. It helps fill it out. So for her protection, yeah. Joseph came on the scene as yeah. when she left the temple. And then, yes. in a sense, he stayed with her and protected her, and you know, and soon the Christ child through that whole yeah. um, time, really through yeah. Christ's whole life, he was yeah. protector of both mother and child through exactly through his, yeah yeah through mm. their whole yeah. life yeah. So then, she wasn't publicly she wasn't looked at as an unwed mother then, correct?
0: No, no, I, I don't think so. I don't know if people who are close to her knew the story, but you know, uh, he wanted to save her from exposure to shame. So I hope that helps mm-hmm. a little bit. So it all does, right, it does. Thanks thank you, for Father. calling in. God bless. Mm-hmm. Um, God bless. you, Monica from Minneapolis. Well, thank you, Monica. What can I do for you? We got just a few oh. seconds
1: father thank you so much you read my letter on the air just a few minutes ago oh and thank you for giving me a new perspective on saint joseph and it, it really really helped it meant a lot to
0: me he'll make a good foster father for you there you go god bless you monica thanks for calling in and don't go anywhere drew's coming up and he's much more coherent than i am much more
1: Thank mm-hmm. you.